Is being a member of a church just about tithing and having your name on the roster? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September is Connected to Christ, Why Membership Matters. Browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Connected to Christ costs $5.99 plus shipping and handling. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Connected to Christ, 1-800-325-3040. Trump says you must be able to speak language, English, qualified, and have a, a job skill. Jesus would not qualify to come in Trump's country. He would not qualify to get in Jesus' kingdom. Wherever you have polytheism, you have cultures, you have this fractured understanding of God where he's splintered up into all these different beings, you always have a, a lowering of ethical and moral standards as well. I can come to the scriptures with humility knowing that I can err. But I ought to have the confidence that the truth of God's word can be known there and that I can in fact know it. Stay-at-home moms and aquarium enthusiasts from Central Cali loves issues, etc. Can you see the fish? It might be on the, the rise again. I don't know. I just know that my generation of parents, not my parents, but my generation of parents, parents like me, and my wife, for some reason, we were less than enthusiastic about any kind of corporal punishment for the kids. There was, there was a question mark hanging over that. That was not the way either of us were raised, but, but there certainly was a question mark for us. And I think I recall spanking my daughter one time, and she did a pretty good job of, and I think because she was still wear, wearing pull-ups or something like that, of deflecting the spanking not that she wasn't disciplined. There was discipline, but the corporal punishment was always a question mark. That's just the, the way we raised our kids. We, it wasn't a judgment on the previous generation or those who did different. But that Bible passage always stuck in my mind. The, the father who spares the rod hates his son. And I wonder, it applies to daughters too, I wonder whether there should have been more. And why is it that even today, Parents are so hesitant to even discipline their children, not, not even speaking about corporal punishment, but discipline their children in any way. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. We're coming to you live on this Wednesday afternoon, September the 13th, from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Part six of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. We're going to talk about discipline and child abuse. Pastor Jonathan Fisk will be our guest. After that, Dr. Joel Bierman joins us. He's written an amazing new book called Holy Citizens, God's Two Realms and Christians' Engagement with the World. We'll talk to him about Christians engaging the world. And then finally, Dr. Uwe Simonetta will join us live from France to talk a little bit about religion and politics, an update for the countries of Germany and France, where religion is in the news, either in the way of neo-Protestantism, whatever that is, or The right-wing, so-called right-wing in Germany politics are concerned about Islamic immigration. We'll talk about both those issues with Dr. Uwe Simonetto. Feel free to join us with questions or comments over the course of the next two hours. Our call in number 1-877-623-6943. Send us an email, talkback at issuesetc.org or a tweet at issuesetc. The Issues Etc. comment line whenever, wherever you listen, 618-223-8382. 
It's part six of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism today, discipline and child abuse. Our guest, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, host of the radio show called Sharper Iron and author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Jonathan, welcome back. Glad to be on. Thank you. How do you explain the hesitancy of, I talked about our our hesitancy, my wife and I, our hesitancy to uh, administer corporal punishment, but the kids were still strictly disciplined. Um, How do you explain the hesitancy of parents today to even discipline their children? Yeah, I think there's maybe three different edges to that. And as you were describing that, I, you were describing my own personal feelings as well as somebody who has attempted to take seriously maybe a less than structured or disciplined childhood, whether that's my parents' fault or my fault, I'll, I'll leave to another time. But, but believing that I wasn't served well by having few boundaries, you know, I've tried to, with my own children, figure out how to give them a little more structure, a little more, a little more firmness. And in the back of my head, this verse that you mentioned, Proverbs 13, verse 24, always kind of sat there. And, and yet I never really liked the idea of corporal punishment. So there, there's something going on there that, that I think maybe is a deeper question. Then you have what we've talked about already, which is this belief amongst postmoderns or millennials or, or almost millennials, whatever you want to call us, the 30-year-olds 30, the 30 right now, 20-year-olds that have kids. There's this belief that they don't have any authority. There's an abdication of any awareness that there is an authority in the parent and sort of a total attempt to be a friend to the child right away. So that individual is not disciplining in a sense because they believe it's wrong to do so. And now we're not talking corporal, right? We're just talking about saying no. And so you got these movements of positive affirmation and whatnot. I'm not not against being positive with your kids, but there's a time and a place to say, no, this is wrong, right? No, you shouldn't do this. So you got that end of it. And then you have somewhere in the middle, I believe, you, you have a fear that is driven by the litigiousness of our society. The fact that people seem to be, well, Big Brother seems to be watching us or or at least thinking maybe he is that there is a a fear that the government itself has the power to take away children from families that this power was established at a time when there was a belief that corporal punishment was the norm and should be done but now it's a time when that is not a belief anymore and so there's there literally is a fear that if i'm in public and i have to even hold my my child's arm tightly to keep him or her from, you know, grabbing some bag of candy and opening it right there and eating it, that somebody will see me and will consider this abuse. And as as much as you want to believe that it's innocent till proven guilty in this country, frankly, the way the laws are written, they can take away your kids without a trial. It's 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 pretty pretty scary when you get into the social justice side of things. I'm not talking about the arguments in in the public square right now. I'm talking about those administrations within the government of the United States and its states, which are charged with managing home affairs, uh, violence in the home and all those kinds of things, they can do a lot without ever going to trial. To the level that, you know, if, if someone is going to take the first shot in a divorce and make a few swift accusations, they can end up with, you know, the kid's custody and more without particularly the husband ever getting a chance to defend himself. So you put that all in the mix and the, the sort of subtle awareness of that that goes on, and I think it's got 
everyone's second guessing from there's people saying it's wrong to say no down to well it just doesn't seem like you know staying go get a switch and beating the kid you know for 15 minutes till his back is red really was so great at helping anybody do anything much but come to the 60s that didn't help anybody so aside from that it doesn't seem like beating your kid's a good idea i think most most Christians knew that already, but certainly there, there's a hyper-awareness of this now, that there was an abuse of this language in the past, and we don't want to do that. And then there's the middle where we're afraid of being uh, appearing to be that old bad idea, even though we maybe are just trying to do structure life for the kid and, and stop the kid from doing something truly harmful. And all of that's a real, it's a real mess and a real jumble. And we got to ask that question then, well, so, so what does that mean and how do we address it and where do we go from there? Let's take the middle one uh, and focus on that one, and that is that parents either believe or are not quite certain that they have authority in the parent-child situation. That requires a little kind of rewind for us to talk about boundaries again. What have we said so far in this series about boundaries in a nutshell to, to address the issue of, well, I, I don't feel like I have authority or maybe I don't want to have authority over my kids? Yeah, but that the reason you have been given a child by your father in heaven is for you to protect that child. And the only way you can do that is by drawing some lines around that child's life. You know, you, if you're going to put them in the sandbox, there's a reason the box has a boundary is <laughs> to keep the sand inside, to keep the kid inside, and then you can let them play and everything's kind of safe there, right? One way or the other, you do this. The question is, are you doing this intentionally with the belief that you are empowered to do so for the sake of the child? Or are you being pressed by the winds of this age to only draw the boundaries that the age kind of is drawing for you, that you're assuming into reality without really thinking about those things? So this also gets into, and we've talked about this before, Part of it is recognizing that as a parent-child relationship, one of the most powerful things you can do for the good of the child is to let your yes be yes and your no be no. That when you are going to exercise authority in any way, shape, or form, that you don't waffle, that you don't go back and forth. And so if, if you're going to say, look, this is the rule in the house, this is the way we live in this house, you got to kind of stick to that thing. We also have talked about, and we'll probably talk about again, how that has to change a little bit with age. I mean, you don't have the same boundaries for your 12-year-old as you have for your 2-year-old. You're going to move those boundaries in that way, but that's different than the waffling I'm talking about. The waffling I'm talking about is when the child throws the temper tantrum, you just kind of back off on your attempts to to stop the child from, from doing whatever they were going to do. And so pushing back to this idea that the if you're not going to be a boundary setter for your child as a parent, then, then what are you? There is, I guess, you could make the argument, I am an example. Yeah. So somehow by example alone, the child is going to is going to receive the positive instruction that I give and will grow into doing that. And there's something to that. I mean, that's like, it's not as it's all wrong. You definitely want to have that. But it's, it's sort of naive. It's almost like you don't believe there's danger, right? It, like you don't believe there's anything, anything uh, wicked in the world or, or dangerous to your child that they can get into if you don't say no. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to use an example here of, of one of the times early on that in every to one of my children's lives, I decided corporal punishment was the answer, and that was when they tried to touch a stove or a fire. I decided that a light smack on the hand that actually didn't hurt them, just kind of scared them a little bit, was far preferable to them actually burning their hand. So it was a, it was an issue of do we have pain or do we have actual destruction, right? And I never liked doing it, but it was like, golly, which one are we going to pick here? 
where that line gets drawn, that's the, the challenging thing. And for myself, I found that the further it went away from, from being an immediate protection moment, right? Like the, the, we're going to have a little pain so that you don't have a lot of pain. The more that it went away from that is where I really started to struggle as you did. I was like, well, what good is this doing? How is this really helping? Because the thing about corporal punishment, I think the psychology shows us pretty sure, pretty quickly, is what it, it does teach someone not to do something, but it, does, it doesn't really teach them why or to think it's a bad idea on their own. There is no understanding that comes with it. What they learn to do is avoid, well, the, the pain itself. And so it's a very limited type of instruction, right? But that doesn't mean that there isn't discipline that can do that better. And so this is where we go. If you go back to Proverbs 13, 24, I'm okay with someone saying, you know what? I'm, I'm never going to use corporal punishment on my child. I'm okay with that. And kind of, I kind of wish I hadn't myself. I didn't do it a lot, but even then it's like, you know, maybe there was other ways to do this. But when he's, when Solomon is talking about sparing the rod and hating your son, he is talking about that what you were getting at there, Todd, a moment ago, the idea that I don't do any discipline for my child, that there are no boundaries, that I never tell them no. That's right. You can't really dodge this proverb. Solomon, the scriptures, wisdom, natural law, they all tell you, if you're not going to exercise discipline over your child to protect them and teach them in the way they should go, then you actually are despising them and rejecting the job of parent altogether. And, and those are fighting words. I, I get it. I get it. Uh, but, but it's scripture. I mean, what are we going to do? You, you, you got to face it for what it is. So let's go into that passage. How would you describe what it says with uh, just about a minute here before we take our first break? How would you describe the passage we've both referenced here? Right. So, I mean, obviously it's using the, the idea of the rod or the, the lash or some sort of physical pain as a way of stopping somebody from doing something wicked or evil or harmful. And it's saying that you have to, basically, you're going to have to cause your son, your child pain for them to learn. That is being spoken as a metaphor, though. And that's where I'm going to, I would say, this is not a prescription of corporal punishment. It's a prescription of discipline. And you get this from the, the couplet, right? That it's got a parallel. But he who loves him, that is his son, is diligent to not beat him, right? Not abuse him, not harm him physically, is diligent to discipline him. So it's, it's pressing to this idea that if you're going to teach a child in the, the way that he should go, you're going to show him that there's a path to walk on. That means showing that there are curbs to the path, that there are boundaries that you can't go off of. Otherwise, you end up in the weeds or in the quicksand. And sometimes that's going to be painful. I think, again, of the example where and most parents have had this moment where the, the kid's about to step into the street and you're like, you grab the arm, right? Because you don't want them getting hit by the car. But the, even in grabbing the arm of your five-year-old in love and pulling them away from a car, what, what have you just done to their arm? You, you've hurt them. <laughs> they might even look at you completely unaware of what was going on and begin crying because all they know it was that they've been disciplined. And so there's this, again, there's this give and take of, of learning how to see I'm here to protect the child. I'm not here to harm the child. How do I do this in a world that is full of harm? And it's just not as easy as, well, you better spank or nope, no spanking. I, I think if you take either one of those answers, you're, well, you're kind of punting the game or punting the ball. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part six of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Today, we're talking about discipline and child abuse. He's author of the book, Broken Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. We'll be right back.
We don't know anything about this formerly blind and mute man. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. What we do know is what Jesus did for him. And what Jesus did for that man, he is doing now for you. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Religious Liberty. Christians engaging the media. The For You of Christianity. Christian marriage. The sexual revolution. The Benedict Option. These are some of the topics for the 2017 Fall Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November 10th, and Saturday, November 11th, in Houston, Texas. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Registration is $120. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, November 10th and 11th, in Houston. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. In our series, we are using the acrostic classical. C is for canons, the canon of Holy Scripture informing the canon of Western civilization. L is for liberal arts, the language arts, and mathematical arts. A is for alphabet and arithmetic, a firm foundation. We begin at the beginning. S is for simplicity, for any child. The second S is for sciences, the moral, natural, and theological sciences with theology at the apex. I is for imitation. Whereas in the child-centered approach, the child's own thoughts become his focus, in classical education, the child imitates that which is greater than himself. He studies and imitates the great speeches, art, music, literature, and ideas of all time, including the catechism, prayers, hymns, and the word of Christ for life eternal. Learn with us at ccle.org. Back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. It's part six of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism today, discipline and child abuse. So the basic principle that you have outlined with regard to that famous Proverbs passage is that in order to exercise discipline, and even I think this the case that you cited before with your kids, to simply protect them, there will be times when you might cause pain. To your children. Is that as simple as it is? Yeah, I think so. And that knowing that you should probably be ready to do it on purpose. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean corporal punishment. But I'll just use a really, really silly example. So my child has been promised that this evening my child will get to play Minecraft for two hours. That my child proceeds to behave in a way completely inappropriate to the age, right? Whatever that might be. And in an attempt to have a conversation with the child, it doesn't work. The child continues to behave poorly and escalates the scenario. Now it's time to cause a little pain to show the child how serious human behavior is, how important it is to learn to treat each other with respect. So the child then hears me say something like, well, now I guess I just can't let you play Minecraft tonight because you're going to have to spend some time thinking about your behavior. And frankly, it's a privilege and you, you haven't earned it. You don't deserve it. Usually that slows the child down. It doesn't always stop the conversation, but it slows the child down. And, you know, I've, I've got one child is particularly strong willed. God bless her. 
and it's a strength in some ways. But you know, she she will always push that boundary further and further. And so what I normally will do is just, well, if you're going to push harder, I'll just push harder. So we take away this. Fine. You want me to take away this? And at some point, there's enough stuff that's lost that the child just bites the tongue and and learns to think. And what what's amazing to me, and this is where you know Hebrews 12 kind of does come into play. Yeah, again, I'm sharing this about my child, not because I don't love this child, but because I, I adore this child. This same child will come back sometimes that night or the next day and say, I'm sorry, I I lost control, and I I want to do better. And then there's time for, what, forgiveness, right? Then there's time for reconciliation. It's a great joy to me when that happens. But that would never happen if I just let the child mouth off and then go off and do whatever the child wanted, right? So if I never bothered to, to create this discipleship situation, which involves a little bit of pain to learn where the road doesn't exist anymore. Now, for many people, the road of human relationships or, or how we treat each other in public or in civilization isn't part of the real road anymore. And I think a lot of what we see in America that we complain about is the fact that we've just neglected to teach people basic civil respect and civil duties. The scary thing is, though, that we can we sit there and we'll point the finger at the world how bad everything is. Well, then we then we owe it to ourselves and to our families to ask the question, am I going to impart something different? Am I going to impart a different human behavior to my children than the world is going to do? And, and honestly, if you're not going to try, <laughs> then you're not going to. They're going to get by osmosis what's going on around them. Part of that trying, I believe, according to Proverbs, according to Hebrews 12, according to really the Bible as a whole, does involve, yeah, there's going to be pain in their life, so use it strategically. Don't try to cause it for the sake of harming them. You know, I don't don't take away Minecraft because I want my child to suffer. What I want my child to do is to learn, and part of learning always, always is making errors. I mean, just think back to Todd. I mean, you you probably were taught to do handwriting in grade school. I know they still do that. You know, did your hand ever get sore when you were practicing your letters? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely, right? So no pain, no gain. It's just kind of the way we learn things. So to abdicate that in the most important role, which is teaching your child to be a human, seems like a really, really, well, unwise decision from, from where I'm sitting. You uh, also had just mentioned Hebrews 12. What again is there that we need to hear? Now, this is a really, really fascinating place in Scripture where the author of the Hebrews, we don't know who he is. Some people think St. Paul. I don't, but it doesn't matter. The author of the Hebrews is conveying to us that the Lord, our God, is going to make us suffer because he loves us, which is just a stunning idea, right? The theology of the cross uh, writ large. And in this he uses the father of a child in the home as an example of how obvi- how this should be so obvious to us. Right? Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, he says, and he quotes the Old Testament. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And, and the Greek there, it's punishment. Right? It's, this is not a just a pure discipleship word. It's the punishment of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord punishes, he disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So part, and we know this from law gospel conversations, right? So part of being a Christian means that the wrath of God's going to be conveyed to us. The law is going to come along. It's going to accuse us. Even when it curbs us in, it's going to hurt. If you ever hit a curb with your car, you know it isn't exactly fun, <laughs> even if it keeps you on the road. So this is part of sonship, of being brought into a, a new life, a regenerate life in Christ. It is for discipline that you have to endure, the author goes on. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his 
father does not discipline. Well, see, interestingly, we could say today a whole lot. <laughs> There's quite a few. But it's amazing the kind of claim the authors are going to make here, what that means for parenthood. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Now, he's talking about Christianity, right? That if you don't have suffering, if the cross, if your struggle against your sin, if your desire to improve your life, if the world hating you because it hated Christ first, if none of those things are present in your Christian walk, you might want to ask yourself, do I really believe any of this stuff and go back and seek it again, right? But kind of, he's doing all of that by means of the example of the family, but they kind of take it backwards now. So if I decide not to give any discipline to my children, I am effectively making myself an illegitimate parent, and they are illegitimate sons. They, they no longer are my sons at all. There, there really is no difference. And then, you know, that bit I said earlier about my child returning to me and thanking me for discipline, which is just a marvelous thing when it happens. It doesn't always happen. It's a marvelous thing when it does happen. The author says this as well in, in chapter 12, verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. And he's going to go on and say that at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No one likes to have a boundary set when they want to go off the boundary. But but at the same time, as I just said, I don't like hitting the curb with my car. I would far rather hit the median than go veering off a cliff into some sort of catastrophic destruction that I can never recover from. I'd far rather hit that median thing and be pushed back into the road, even if it ruins my car. And in this way, the discipline that we are to seek as Christians, is to have the law of God shove us back into the road, that we would believe it and not hit the curb if we can help it, but, you know, we would see it as a guy. But nonetheless, to love that rebuke, to love that repentance. I mean, I've asked this question before in a number of other places, but I think it's fair. You know, when you go to church, do you go to be told you're wrong? Because that is, that is why you should go, is to learn where you're wrong. And in the same way, then, to recognize that that's what it means to be a son. That's what it means to be a child, is to be a native erroneous person in need of being shown the right way. And so what it means to be a parent is, well, to be one who has striven to learn that right way, right? But then also wants to impart that right way, whatever it is, to the child. And for some reason, we have no problem doing this when it's like Cubs or Cardinals, right? Well, we've we'll, we'll got discipline there. You don't cheer for that team in this house. But when we're talking about, I don't know, the third commandment, attending church every Sunday, when we're talking about, again, basic civil behavior, no, you don't scream for what you want. You use the words that our, our language has and you say please and thank you and all these kinds of things. That stuff isn't just going to come naturally if we don't impart it, if we don't teach it, and we don't uh, own that privilege of being fathers and mothers. With about a minute and a half, um, what would you find in Second Timothy 4? to instruct us this afternoon. Right. Well, I threw that verse at you because it's one that that I think is is so imperative for the way that he describes pastoral care initially, but it applies to everything. He says, you know, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, which with the word, this is dealing with when you're getting growth and faith and when it doesn't look like it's working. But see, apply that to your, your teenage child, right? You know, you got to you gotta continue to be a parent even when it doesn't look like it's working. And But then that's not really why we went there. It's for the, the last phrase. So reprove, rebuke, and exhort, right? So tell them they're wrong, force them to see that they're wrong, help show them the way to go. But then it's all with patience and teaching or with patience and careful instruction. So this is where, if you're going to decide to use some form of corporal punishment with your child, you better not do it just 
as corporal punishment with no instruction, with no understanding, with no teaching about, hey, the reason I grabbed your arm and yanked you away from the street is that car. See it right there? Right down there? That was going to be your face, right? <laughs> and so I, I chose to grab your arm instead of, you know, instead of letting your face hit the car. You want to always bring that careful instruction to any of the discipline that you do. When you sit down and you say, no, I'm not going to give you this piece of candy that you're screaming for, and here's why. Talk to the child like they are, well, like they can learn. Like that's what they're there for, is to learn. It's amazing how much they pick up. Anyhow, patience and careful instruction. Recognizing that you're going to fail at this, which is why you should, I think, have some hesitancy when it comes to all forms of discipline, and especially corporal punishment, because it's way too easy to use it for yourself. At the same time, trying to apply that patience for the sake of the child, putting their good above your own, putting their learning above your own, and recognizing that that's the role. That's what it means to be a parent, is to instruct one who comes after you. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of a radio show called Sharper Iron and author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. You'll find a link to that book at our website, issueztc.org. Click Listen On Demand or call Concordia Publishing House and ask for Broken by Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Their toll-free number, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. When we come back, Dr. Joel Bierman will join us. We'll be talking about Christians engaging the world. Lutherans uh, have positioned themselves in the world sometimes very, very quietly. We've kind of snuck into the public square. Is that the position that our theology, Holy Scripture, and our confessions would put give us in the public square where we engage the world? Sometimes we use a, an excuse, a teaching that Luther found in Scripture of the so-called two realms or two kingdoms. Is that justified? We'll answer that question after this. When pastors talk about us, they call us ad crucem. When laity mention us, they speak of ad crucem. When non-Lutherans address us, they say ADC Rucam. But no matter how you say it, ad crucem is the place to go for greeting cards, artwork, jewelry, ornaments, housewares, church certificates, church banners, and all your gift buying needs. Visit adcrucem.com, confessing the faith through art and word. A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. When a Christian woman is critical of her own flesh, she holds her creator in contempt. Rose Adel from her new book, Ladylike Living Biblically. Our Heavenly Father knit us together in the womb. He did not do a bad job. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139, 14. That goes for everyone, including the one who thinks she's the ugliest of them all. You can purchase and download Concordia Publishing House's new audiobook, Ladylike, Living Biblically, at Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. If you're like me, you remember when education was about the basic skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic and about reading great literature and history that gave our kids models of what it is to be a good person. Memoria Press's classical Christian curriculum is bringing this kind of education back. Get $5 off your next order by using the coupon code LPR. For more information, go to memoriapress.com. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Creo en Dios Padre Todopoderoso. Millones confesan los creos cada semana. ¿Pero por qué? Aprende más sobre los credos cristianos y las confesiones luteranas este mes en The Lutheran Witness. Recibe seis ediciones de la revista principal de la Iglesia Luterana Sinodo de Missouri. 
para $6.99 por visitar a cph.org slash trylutheranwitness. The Lutheran Witness, interpretando un mundo contemporáneo desde una perspectiva cristiana. Continuing education for the confessional Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. LCMS Rural and Small Town Mission exists to support and encourage congregations in rural and small town settings. In partnership with LCMS districts, RSTM is uniquely positioned to make a major impact in revitalization support, community engagement and outreach training, congregational partnership development, and worker support through providing and developing resources geared specifically to rural and small town congregations. Check us out at lcms.org front slash RSTM or give us a call at our office. We're here to help. Hello, I'm Pastor Daniel Quinn, Senior Pastor of Living Word Lutheran Church, The Woodlands, Texas, inviting you to join us for divine service on Sundays at 8.15 or 11 a.m. Living Word is located at 9500 North Panther Creek Drive in The Woodlands, a community about 30 miles north of Houston. That's Living Word Lutheran Church, where we proclaim the living word of Christ that all who hear may walk in newness of life.